Welcome to Art Talks. I'm your host, Richard Codd, and I want to thank you for joining us here today on KZMU. We are at 106.7 and 90.1. The first guests today are Michael Barrett and Erin Groves from the Moab Music Festival. And I invited them here today because the festival is right around the corner. It will be starting here in a few days. So please uh, help welcome Michael Barrett and Aaron Groves. I'm excited about the, f- the festival. Last year I went to a few events and we had uh, an excellent time. And I know this is a special year. It's the 30th year. Yeah, so round number anniversary. Yeah, congratulations. Well, let's start. um, Tell tell me generally uh, the lineup for this year, and then we'll get into some little questions about the the early days of the festival. Okay. Well, we've got. uh, And uh, first of all, Michael, just tell me a little your your background. How how (laughs) how you got involved. Yeah, Michael, how are you involved in the Your position (laughs) with the festival. That's a a, a long story. Uh, (laughs) Well, I am the music director, and uh, Leslie Tompkins and I were the original founders of this music festival, and that was actually 31 years ago when we incorporated and, you know, took us a year to um, really put it all together for our first season, which was in 1993, and here we are celebrating our 30th year. I'm a professional musician. I'm a, a conductor and a pianist, and um, sometimes an educator, too, and uh, I've done a lot of teaching over the years. But uh, mostly, I've been a New Yorker for my career, but recently I've made Moab my more permanent home, even though I've been coming here for 33 years now. Uh, so I'm really feeling more and more like a local, I guess. Uh, I okay. think 33 years qualifies, don't you? I, don't uh, I think so. And and I'm a transplanted New Jerseyan, but only by about, uh, we've lived here coming up on four years. So I used to work in New York City. Okay. So we can chat about that offline. Yeah. And Aaron, let, let, first we'll start a little bit. What uh, Tell us your background and involvement with the festival. Sure. So as a transplant to Moab myself, I stumbled into Moab in 2014 and in 2015 started working at the festival. I was originally the festival coordinator, and as the festival has grown in the last uh, 10 years, it's really made and is making some significant leaps um, programmatically and, and staff-wise. Uh, my job has shifted, and I am the Development and Community Engagement Director. So you'll typically see me in the background either furiously writing grants or helping with our education programs, helping give out scholarships, you know, running workshops, that kind of thing. So you have the really tough job of raising money. Yes, it you know, is. That is not an easy task, I'll tell you. It is not an easy task, but I will say that uh, Michael definitely makes it easier on me by programming awesome seasons that make people inspired and want to support the festival. Well, so. I, I, I can say that my wife and I are both proud supporters of the festival. Of which we very so, much appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Richard. So let's, uh, let's talk about some of the uh, guests you have lined up for this year. All right. Well, we have about 50 musicians coming in from all over the country. Um, I think they're all coming from America. I'm not sure. Sometimes, you know, a lot, a lot of these guys spend a lot of time in, um, in Europe and Asia. And I know one of our violinists is touring uh, South America 
like this week. Oh. I hope he makes it back <laughs> in time. Yeah. So uh, that you know, they're internationally known, famous musicians. All of them. I kind of go from this baseline of um, working with people I know and that I've had some professional experience with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try and get the people who are at the very top of their game, you know, the people who are at their peak or mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. almost there if they're very young. You know, mm-hmm. when they're in their 20s, you never know where their peak is. They're incredible how they are. Right. I just don't want them to get worse. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the chances are they're going to keep improving and get even better. So we're going to start off on August 26th this year. We're, we've expanded our season a little bit. We're going over three weekends and uh, a lot of in-between <laughs> weekday <laughs> concerts <laughs> as well. But on uh, August 26th, Friday, we'll be in Star Hall, and then we're doing a lot of our popular things, our music hikes, where you have to walk in to a special undisclosed location. <laughs> we'll, we'll take you there on, in a shuttle because often there's not room to park your vehicle there, you know. So we uh-huh. we'll take you there. We'll if you behave, we'll bring you back. <laughs> and um, that's why I've never taken one of those rafting trips because you know I, I'm always afraid I'll either fall out or. Well, we might. We'll probably pick you up if you <laughs> okay. if you fall out. The good news is that even though I mean our expertise is musicianship, we we rely heavily on Sherry Griffith River expeditions, oh, King okay. and Canyon Field Institute, and the and the, the experts, and you know yeah, to get okay. us down and back. But anyway, we start on the twenty sixth, and we go all, all the way through September uh, September twelfth, and then on either side of those two dates, um, earlier in August, uh, August twenty second to the twenty fourth, and later September 13th through 16th, we do have these two incredible river trips. One is on the Colorado River in uh, Westwater Canyon, and the second one is on the San Juan River. Mm. And these are musical raft trips where we take musicians, and there's a concert every night, and mm-hmm. then there's usually a floating concert, and oh, okay. with very small groups, you know, we take uh, about 15 people. Oh, plus, okay. Plus uh, musicians, I guess they're people too. <laughs> uh, but people love it because they get a chance to uh, glamp, you know, on right. the river, and then get to—they really get to know each other and the musicians. Right. It's really a, a fun experience. So tell me, um, there was something that jumped right out at me—the um, the tribute to with Aaron Copeland mm-hmm. was one. Bella Fleck was another one, and then uh, what was it? The three. Time. Time for three. Time for three. Yeah. Well, you picked three good ones. Um, <laughs> Those are uh, all going to be terrific. Everybody always says, "So, what's the highlight going to be, or what's what's the standout? Right, right. What's the what's the one I should get?" And I, s- I say, "Oh, come on! Every concert is going to be special, and it's created for where it is, and each one ha- is really has its own theme. So, you know, its own flavor. So, you really have to decide what you're in the mood for, what you want to hear. So, exactly, you like Aaron Copeland. This is going to be Americana. It's going to be great. We're going to have." his most famous piece, uh, Appalachian Spring. Right. Uh, we're going to have a couple of his songs. But on top of that, we're celebrating our local uh, our local pioneers, really, in, uh, in this area. And um, it's called Copeland and the American West. Well, mm-hmm. of course, Copeland was from Brooklyn. Nice Jewish yeah, boy yeah, from yeah, Brooklyn, yeah, right? Yeah. So what, what's Western about him? Well, he did write Rodeo, and he did write the ballet Billy the Kid, and he right. did write Appalachian Spring. So... He's known uh, for musically evoking the whole spirit of this 
and myth mythologizing the American West, really, for how we think about it, kind of romanticizing it like the great Western movies did and like, you know. And like the painters, Thomas Moran or Bierstadt or any sure, of those. Right, right, yeah. Right. And um, it, make, yeah, it makes me think also of even early television, you know, Roy Rogers. Oh, my goodness, I grew up on Roy Rogers, you know. Talk about, now that's a cowboy or the Lone Ranger, you know, Hi-Yo Silver. Hi-Yo Silver. There you go. So don't make, don't make me sing the uh, the William Tell well, Richard. Well, let me let me ask. Um, this is the first concert post COVID, I'll say, or late stages of of COVID and the pandemic. Maybe uh, are an first concert. Which one? Well, the, 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 this season. The, this season. Oh, tell what we've done the last two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Did you have to do any kind of special programming for this year or f dealing with COVID on the this, spacing of seats or any, yeah, anything like that? This year, I would say graciously so far, feels the most back to normal so okay. far. Um, of course, as you know, in 2020, we were one of the few that actually still had a festival, although it, we took a significant amount of time in the middle of the year to rethink reprogram and revise the entire mm. season making it smaller audiences uh, smaller uh, performance lineup all of that um, we were able to lighten that a bit last year though we did still have restrictions on audience capacities and so far this year we don't have those restrictions but we are also of course a mostly outdoor festival and so that really is in our favor um, and we don't we have one indoor event at star hall uh, but most of our concerts are uh, outdoors where people can spread out. Um, so, yeah, for this year, it's the first year we've been able to have back closer to a normal size lineup. We have, like Michael said, 50 to 55 musicians coming. Um, and we're, we're still taking lots of precautions. You know, we're mm -hmm. stocking up on COVID tests and masks and stuff where we need them. Um, but most of that is for the staff, and, and uh, there okay. will be occasional places where you might need to throw a mask on on the shuttle or whatnot. Okay, so, so you haven't had to restrict the size of, of the audiences, say like no. in Star Hall, which, which is good. Yeah. That, that's a nice change. We also have the benefit of that, the fact of so many of our concerts are small to begin with. You and know. many are, and most are outside. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a benefit for us. Yeah. But back to the Copeland concert, you know, I just wanted to finish that celebrating our local people. Uh -huh. We have a composer, uh, Gerald Elias, and he, he wrote two pieces, which we've premiered over the years, but we're bringing them back. And one is, is about Essie White, and uh, she was the original homesteader or the, uh, the original farm. Uh, what do you call it? Farmer <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> on that property where Red Cliffs is now. That used to be the old White Ranch. Okay. And we're playing this concert called Conversations with Essie in that, uh, oh, at that nice, exact place. Essie nice. White was there in the 1920s before there, were, there was a, a road, before there were, um, you know, automobiles coming up there, bev uh, yeah. before practically anything i don't know how she did it but she was up there running her ranch by herself with three children she used to come into town on horseback and oh. with the three kids on her horse oh. with her and to get provisions oh that sounds like fun yeah it's and it's taken from her oral history so okay. it's narrated um oh interesting by a person who really is you know portraying 
oh, her. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, oh, that's a nice added touch to yeah. that. We also have a piece about uh, William Grandstaff. Oh, okay. From Grandstaff Canyon, right. William Rand- right. Grandstaff Canyon. Right. Which used to have a different name up yes, here. Yes, it did. Uh, his name was the same. The canyon was something different. Uh, right. Well, it, what, historically it was called Negro Bill Canyon. Correct. Yeah, and, and, and before now, that it was called something and else. And it was something else, but it was changed. And this guy, Jerry Elias, he was a, a big campaigner to have the name of that canyon changed. And he wrote this piece before it w- had that old, old uh, change okay. <laughs> changed to his actual name, William Grandstaff. Okay. So, and that's kind of what this piece addresses. It, there's, again, there's somebody portraying William Grandstaff yeah. singing. Oh, so, that'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be really fun. So yeah, those are yeah. two important locals, you know, 19th century and early 20th century from our own area, and that kind of Oh, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that. That's uh, That'll be nice. A know? big portion of, I think, what inspired the 30th anniversary season has been uh, paying tribute to the many peoples that have, you know, had cross-sections in lives on the land that we create music and concert with the landscape. Is mm. that right? Absolutely. <laughs> Getting and, that right? And talk about, so the day before that Copeland concert, we're uh, celebrating, we have an entire concert of Music by uh, Native Americans, mm. almost all of them living, young composers who are active and, uh, and that we commissioned new works from. So we're going to be hearing their, their music here for the first time and brand new pieces. And it, uh, that's a very exciting program for me. Mm-hmm. It's called Sunrise on Turtle Island. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, that's, in fact, uh, Aaron had mentioned that to me. And so I, I'm hoping to attend that. So. Yeah, that's also at, at Red Cliffs Lodge. Yeah. Uh, and it's three female Native American composers whose works we've commissioned, which I'm especially excited about. Oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're honored that we have these three amazingly talented women who are um, written have written new music for us, and uh, they'll all be here. There's another guy, um, Jared Tate, um, whose music we'll hear as well, and Tim Long, a pianist and conductor wh- whom I've known for 30 years now uh, he's going to put the, he's put this whole thing together he's the curator of this program and he's going to emcee the program and I okay. think bring something very special and close to him so as Aaron said we're, we're honoring all of our four forebearers um, and uh, people who have inhabited this area so of course Native Americans are the first and so they're going to come before Copeland in the American West. Okay. <laughs> and, in, okay. and in paying tribute, too, to the 30 years of programming, um, anyone who was here in 2013 might remember uh, Timothy Long curated a program then as well, uh, Wisdom of the Earth. Is that? Yeah. yeah. Now that, that, too, was a program mm-hmm. of, of mostly Native American music and yeah. poetry. Beautiful program. And Tim is a, a, a beautiful human being and a marvelous musician and I, i'm so looking forward to that show let me let me switch gears for a second um it just piqued my interest how many of the musicians come back year after year in, yeah interesting i get asked that a lot you know a lot of them come back i would say you know two out of three years or, oh, okay. or they'll take a couple of years off but we kind of do have a growing stable a roster of amazing musicians and uh some of them come only once because i could just get them that one time and now they're back to south africa or wherever they live but um a lot of them start with us in their 20s and we're 30 years old so we have yeah 
We have people who are now 50, in their 50s and 60s who have been with us almost every single year. Some people, as I said, take a few years off when we want them to come back. And, of yeah. course, we keep infusing um, our, our roster with the young generation and new people coming in. So we, we have three or four of those uh, who are brand new to the audience, not not including those composers we've just mentioned. But So we have a, lo- a lot of n- new Robert people coming Black in. Robert Black is one that comes to mind when you think of those who yeah, I don't think he's he's maybe missed one oh. maybe two seasons in 30 years and this mm. year he's curating a hike and actually has yeah. a John Luther Adams piece that's been uh, commissioned commissioned yeah. for him on on double bass by us so, and so, by him yeah. yeah another commission we've yeah. we've done yeah so it's like it's it's not like a pickup basketball game then you know it's you don't have well you got six people over there and six over here and you're going to have a game you you must you must have to tell these folks Hey, the concert series is going to be in 2023, probably even 2024. You're probably looking ahead. Yeah. So, like, how do you get all these musicians to block out this time on their calendars? You, you invite them, and it's a professional engagement, and they okay. say yes or no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I tell them what I'm, I can pay them, and uh, but how, uh, how do you get together to practice? I mean, I, I guess there are well. At, at, you As I said, it. everyone's a real pro, you yeah. know, a complete professional. So they know well in advance, you know, months in advance, sometimes a year in advance, right. what it is they're going to be playing. Um, and so they have time to prepare. And boy, I'll tell you, people come into the first rehearsal, it sounds great already. Yeah. So we're negotiating with one another, you know, already very fine tuning of how how we want the spirit of the music to come across. And we were able to work on in very detailed ways with one another about on phrasing, on an articulation, on um, real details, you know, music nerd stuff, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you would hear, okay. come to the first verse and go, wow, sounds great. Yeah, well, you know? well and also maybe, maybe you utilize Zoom or one of the other... Uh, we can. It's. I'm. I'm not fond of not that. Not a big fan for of music. I, it's. I'm not. But I know people teach that way. They have to sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you can give a Richard, music Richard, you're lesson. also speaking though to an interesting um, kind of mashup that is our festival, and that a lot of festivals bring in presenting artists who are a closed group, and they right. show up. They're all ready to go, and we have some of that. For instance, you know, Bela Fleck Bela and Fleck. Time for right. Three, which are going to be fantastic shows. Right. But a lot of what we present is also pretty unique to the festival in that it's either a piece we've commissioned or it's, you know, an existing work, but it's performed by musicians who don't regularly perform together. And so uh, it adds in rehearsal time in Moab and it's really, it makes what you see here. You will only see it here. It will not go on to be repeated elsewhere. And so um, from a grant writing standpoint, that's interesting (laughs) to explain, but it also, I think is a really fun quality to, what this festival does so. yeah it makes us unique i mean as aaron said it's going to happen here and it's not it's not going to happen elsewhere it's not yeah. it's not like oh I'll, I'll just catch that in chicago when i go home or but it's right. a right. fun draw for moab too yeah well um if you just joined us you're listening to art talks on kzmu and our guests include michael barrett and Erin Groves from the Moab Music Festival. And we've been talking about uh, the event itself and some of the musicians and what we can look forward to. So, Erin, um, you just mentioned uh, the festival 
and I, f with your grant writing and 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 one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the festival as an economic engine mm -hmm. for Moab. Sure. Um, you have all these folks coming not only to play who are getting hotel rooms and eating dinners, but all the visitors who come. Talk about some of the economic impacts of the festival. Sure. So a one uh, contributing factor the Moab Music Festival has been passionate about, and various members, myself included, have served on you know the Moab Arts Council throughout the years to, to further help with this. Um, we really care about helping diversify Moab's reputation as a tourist destination. Yes, it is absolutely a recreation mecca, and a lot of that is incorporated in what we bring, but it's also growing more and more so into an arts destination. I mean, mm -hmm. as you know, we have fantastic galleries. We have additional, you know, arts festivals throughout the year. Um, and we consider this also a contribution to the, you know, arts-based tourism in Moab. Um, about, for our annual festival in August and September, that's our, our largest event, of course. And that, um, in pre-COVID years, I would say our audiences are around thirty-two to 3,500 people. And about half of that is local and half of that is visiting in any given year. Uh, those who come here for the festival, uh, we have several who are repeats that just make it a part of their annual tradition, but we also have many for whom this is a bucket list item to get here, to go to the grotto, to, you know, experience a music hike. And, um, and so that's, uh, you know, on, on all ends, it's, it's benefiting, um, you know, obviously it, it helps us by mm -hmm. providing additional outside support to fund these concerts uh, and events, but it also is bringing, as you said, more visitation to restaurants and, and uh, right. hotels and, and those things. Right. So. Do you have any idea? Can you put a, num a number on that? Like in your grants, do, do you say it, it generates... One uh, trillion six, dollars. Yeah, one, <laughs> one trillion. I like that number. Yeah. A, a bajillion? I mean, I yeah. know that's... So the closest I could come, we are um, graciously funded by the Utah Office of Tourism. They have a co-op marketing grant, which uh, many listeners from different organizations in town will mm -hmm. recognize from their own programming and funding. Um, and they do have a form that you fill out that kind of gives you a sense of that. And right. we have a hard time getting a solid number because we don't really 100% track exactly how many people are staying in hotels and other things. But roughly, we would say... Um, it is easily between half and a million dollars easily in extra income for our town. Oh, I would, I would yeah. guess it, at least that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm thinking it's more than that because yeah. that's about our budget. So that's kind of just <laughs> what we, we spend right. as a yeah. not-for-profit. Yeah. Um, so it's not what everybody else spends, too, yeah. you know. Yeah. On, on, There's on a lot else. of untracked income, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Do you, um, do you work with the school? We do. Yeah. I <laughs> what, what good question. I just wanted to say, and this is Erin's going to do most of the talking here because <laughs> she's directly involved with this, but um, I think that it's, not only, it's not only the music festival that I think is great for the town, but it's our, our presence here because we are really plugged into the community. And uh, for me, it's I like to, th I hope, I believe, I like to think that we really are able to raise the quality of life um, for the community, and especially young people. 
Aaron talk about these programs? I would be happy to. Um, so music education is one of the things I've become very passionate about working here at the festival over these last eight years. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to help grow these programs. And where we start is not by trying to create all of those initiatives ourselves, but by being connected with local educators and their efforts, local programs who also provide music education, and finding out where we can help supplement their needs. So for instance, in the school district, we provide uh, music assemblies for K through 12 students, um, all 1500 every year. Mm. And that is partially because we know not every student has the resources to get up north to Salt Lake to see a professional performance or even to get down to Red Cliffs Lodge for a concert, mm-hmm. even though uh, students are practically free under 18. And so uh, we come to them and we make sure that some of our highlights from the season are brought into the schools every year. And the last two years, we've had uh, challenges due to COVID with that. And we are very excited that those are now uh, something we can work around and we can get Start back those. into the schools. Yeah. So that's part of it. Um, we work with the Beacon After School program. They have oh, a fantastic okay. string program. Yeah. Uh, Tamara Frida is the coordinator. And we work side by side with her. We, we did our second annual camp with them, summer camp, uh, for string students grades K through 12. And in our first year, we had 15 students. And in our second year, we had over 30 with oh. our youngest students, or, or excuse me, with our students coming as far away as Blanding. And so we're really truly oh, wow. starting to help serve southeastern Utah as a whole with these oh, programs. And, so. and that just, um, I was just thinking, these instruments aren't cheap. And my daughter plays the cello, so I know. <laughs> uh, right. Um, do you, does the, does the uh, music festival, how do you get the students who, who may not have the resources to say, I want to learn how to play an oboe? Maybe well, they may not. They probably as, maybe they don't even know what an oboe is. But I mean, you 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 know what I'm. I'm as our at. retired board chair uh, Hank Rudder would say, there's nothing more awesome than getting an instrument into the hands of a child, and we definitely try and help with that through a variety of ways. Um, we provide every fall something to local education programs called our Education Initiative Awards, and that is something that we've pretty much received every year applications from uh, the elementary music teachers, uh, Grand Canyon Middle and High School Band and strings programs the beacon program we've even worked with kzmu's uh spring break rock camp um and done programming funding through that um these education initiative awards help fund a variety of proposals Uh, pretty much every group that applies gets some portion of funding every year and we've purchased quite a few instruments over the years for the band program for the strings program, for the after-school string program, and those turn into rentals. And the schools and the uh, the Beacon program work with students who necess- don't necessarily have rental funds to make sure that any student who wants to play an instrument can have physical access to whatever they're wanting to play. I think that's absolutely terrific because I'm sure there are lots of talented musicians out there who don't know they're a musician yes right no kidding yeah Yeah. so and sometimes even if you're practicing or you have an instrument you might not really find yourself till later like high school 14 15 16 17 like i i got really serious about being a musician i would say when i was 14 15 years old that's when i went oh i really want to do this all the time maybe this could be my yeah my vocation. Yeah. Michael didn't even yeah. start on piano. He started on clarinet. 
Oh, there you go. Well, I did start on piano first, but there oh. was a year <laughs> when we didn't have a piano because we were, were overseas, And but I did have my clarinet. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, in the last few minutes that we have, let's talk about how do people find find out the, all the details. Like, where do you go to? You go to our website is the quick way. And, and yeah. Moab, MoabMusicFest.org. That's correct. Just click on You the can call the office and if what, you yeah, don't yeah. own a computer. <laughs> <laughs> or you can come see us in person. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, and So you can buy the tickets at the office if you want. You Are there other outlets? You can purchase them online at MoabMusicFest.org, or okay. you can come down to the box office, which is 58 East, 300 South. We're right next to the advertiser. And okay. we're pretty much there 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. And, um, yeah, we're... We're there and happy to help. You can also call and purchase over the phone at uh, 435-259-7003. And you're going to guarantee perfect weather? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I gave us a vaccine because our opening night concert is called Extreme Weather. That's the title of the program. Uh-oh. I think Moab <laughs> no. has done a fantastic job this last week of building up to this concert. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, it's been some ride it these has. last few weeks. We've had some extreme weather. Well, we well, have everywhere, so, you know, people are getting, I won't say they're getting used to it, but they're getting used to it being extreme. <laughs> Anything you'd like to add? Um, but, uh, closing, what's, what do you got planned? Anything special for 2023? Ooh, well, th- that would be... Is that too that far? That would be telling. Uh, I do have a lot of things in the hopper, and a- Aaron and I are working on a, a few projects to, to raise money so we can pull them off, you yeah. know. Okay. Um, we, so we do have some exciting expansions. We've grown a lot in 2022. We added a third season in mm-hmm. May. That's going to come back next year, probably in June. Um, MMF High Water uh, that will be back next year. And our Winterlude season, which has become a very popular season for our, our local audiences, which we love, and our mm-hmm. local students, um, that's actually expanding. It will be January 27th to February 4th, and oh. the first weekend is featuring our first Winterlude jazz component with the Allison Shearer Jazz Quartet. And they will be working with high school jazz students through the the local jazz ensemble, as well as our student and adult string ensemble workshops. So there's a lot coming up this winter. And they're going to play a concert, of course, for the public. I mean, we're going to have some great jazz nights here in town. Oh, good, good, good. And one last thing I want to put a plug in for that's not on our calendar, but for our local listeners to be aware of, is if you happen to go down to Cafe Italiano to get your your coffee throughout the, the August and September weeks, be aware you may see a new a festival musician or two uh-huh. out on the patio we have some some what we're calling mmf informals that we are not broadly advertising but keep an ear open we'll we'll let you Ooh. know when they're coming and, and where is that going to be cafe italiano next to cafe the gonzo, italiano. In the yeah. gonzo yeah. on the back patio uh, we're really excited to partner with them um, and so for more details stay tuned i won't give out yeah. too much too soon but. we're going to tell All people right. by social media probably yeah. that week yeah so follow us on follow Facebook us or instagram and yeah you'll follow, get the follow us on where to be and, to get uh, your coffee right catch some free Those live are gonna music be fun. in downtown well on that note i want to thank you so much for coming erin groves and michael barrett from the moab music festival uh, a tremendous resource for our community so thank you once again for for joining me here today thanks Richard pleasure
You're listening to KZMU 106.7, and this is Art Talks, and I'm your host, Richard Codd. Um, we just finished our interview with folks from the Moab Music Festival that um, will be coming up, and it sounds like it'll be a, a great event. So uh, reach out to them for your tickets, and um, I hope to see you out there. My next guest is a local artist, Tom Conway. And I asked Tom t- to come today to talk about his kind of art. Tom is, a, I'll say, a digital artist. And um, I, I'm familiar with standing at the easel and painting um, with watercolor. But this is so different. And I thought it would be interesting to hear from Tom and how he got started in uh, the world of digital art. So please welcome Tom Conway. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you going? Good, good. Um, you, hopefully, you can, hopefully you can hear uh, me, Tom. Can you? Here I am. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'm just going to ask you to speak up a little bit. Okay. Um, so, so Tom, tell me a little bit about about yourself and you, uh, how you got started in art. Well, fortunately, I went to a school where art still was on the curriculum. And uh-huh. where was that? This was back in Denver, Colorado, actually, and it was in middle school. So. We had, uh, I was actually more interested in writing than I was in art, and Mm -hmm. I I still enjoy literature and so forth, but there was an art class. So I took that and started painting with oils on canvas, so kind of the conventional kinds of things, Mm -hmm. which I enjoyed a lot and did fairly well at. Um, But I actually started in digital art, back in Tennessee later at college where uh, I was studying art, not art, but I was studying English and um, physics. And in the physics lab, we had at the time an HP pen plotter, which we used to plot functions. And as I was involved in that, I realized, well, why couldn't I produce art by programming different polynomials, step functions, what have you, and having that come out on the pen plotter? So hmm. I'm not sure why I decided to want to do that, but <laughs> but you did. But I did, and this was this was many 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 years ago, and I um, actually decided to plot on toilet paper because it was so absorbent and it was it had some of the characteristics of watercolors. Um, so I would do that, uh, come up with equations and functions and so forth and develop plots on toilet paper, which I would then mount between pieces of lucite and bolt together. And that's kind of where I started on digital art. Hmm. Um, at the same time, of course, that was the beginning of holographs and all that. So we were heavily involved in lasers and, and all of that and trying to, uh, etch things on uh, holographic media and and project those items. 
Hmm. Um, so it was just happenstance, I suppose you'd say. Huh. Um, and let's let's talk a little bit about the kinds of images that you create. Um, when when you sit at the computer screen, right? How does that picture? How, how does that painting occur? It depends on the kind of object, you know, kind of painting. If it's if it's a completely abstract thing, then you just start going with it, just you know, using digital tools as opposed to physical media. I haven't done anything on physical media for over twenty years now. Um, so you're doing this with a stylus, or or how, or yeah, I, or I your do, mouse? I do it all on an iPad with a Apple pencil. An Apple pencil. Uh, which effectively you can do anything. You can, if you take a program like Procreate, it has maybe a thousand different brushes you can use. And if you think about, as an artist, what it would cost to have a thousand different brushes. So, like as a watercolor painter, I have a number six round. Right. So you must have an infinite. You have really an infinite number. And the same thing comes to colors in that. You have millions of colors, and of course right. you would, with oil or acrylics, you'd have, or watercolor, of course you can mix your primary colors and get any right. color you want, but uh, it's difficult to maintain that. You know, you can get a color one time, the next time you come to a piece of canvas or paper or watercolor, you have to try to recreate that color if you want it again, whereas digitally you can save that color and use it again yeah you know that's when I, when i was with my watercolors um i never made enough save right. for the sky right um of the mixture and you'd spend time make getting this mix of color that was just what you wanted and then you'd put that on a page and go oh no i i i only have enough for for three quarters of this of and, that, and right. then they go back and try to make, try it, to make it and it. then you put it in and i've ruined the painting already and then and then the other thing is just the, the speed if you make a mistake i mean if you were back when you were painting and when i was painting in oil if you made a mistake you had to wait three days to correct it because you had to wait for the oil to dry acrylics mm. was like a day you'd have to wait to correct your mistake working digitally it's it's immediate you know, mm. you can you can erase what you did and and start. So, um, since the last six years, when I've been really heavily back involved in in art, I've created some eight hundred different pieces. Mm. And there's no way you could you could do that in acrylics or oil or watercolor or pastels. Um, so, um, so going back again up to the apple pen, you said that you use right. Um, so you determine the width uh, that you want before you start working on the on the tablet. Right. Generally, the width will be how much pressure you put on the iPad. Uh, more pressure gives you a wider line. Oh, it does, just like that. Yeah, okay. So like you don't that. have to pre-select. Is it? Well, you'll select like how big a brush you want, or how thin a brush, or what the texture of the brush okay. is, and all that. But once you've done that, then it's it's more like just sketching with a pencil. Um. Um, so th- all the colors that are available, is it, does it get to the point where you, maybe you have too many colors? 
I'm not sure yeah. you can have too many colors. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, I just think of, you know, when you buy your paints, you got so many paints, and then you... Yeah, an interesting problem, We there was a contest over in Telluride where we spent a lot of time uh, where they wanted you to create a tote bag for a market over there, and, and I, I got involved in, in entering that. But then as we got down into it, they said you can only use six colors. Oh. Well, this was... You know, for me, I, I just couldn't even even think about that anymore, how you would just use six colors to do something. But And the shades of those yeah. colors. And, and the, and right. The, no, it's not even the shades, six colors. Six colors. And because they were using an old printing process right. that could only do six colors. And that's the other thing about digital art is you can use millions of colors. Right. And digital printing will reproduce those colors very closely so huh it, it um so yeah how do you so you sit down at, at the at the computer um and you're you're you want to create a piece of art do you do you work from a photograph or a drawing or or an image in your head how, how What's the creative process involved? Some of both. Probably it's about half and half where I'll start with a photograph and develop a drawing or a sketch from that and then develop the art. Sometimes I will go straight from a sketch uh, without mm-hmm. a photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, it, it's, it just depends on, you would think maybe a photograph would be easier, but it, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish as to whether starting with a sketch or a photograph is is uh, easier. Um, obviously, most of what I do is na- nature-based, and so mm-hmm. uh, probably, uh, as I say, uh, quite a bit of time you'll start with a photograph as your basis. And who's who's the audience for your art? Uh, <laughs> that's I mean, a good question. Yeah. Um, generally. I mean, I've got five pieces out at the airport now, so I guess I oh. uh, entertain a few people out there as they're waiting for flights. Um, I, I, I sell some online, right? Uh, some at festivals and, and those kinds of things. So you do that? You, you, do you travel? Do you participate in some, some festivals? Some. I, I do it mainly just more for my own entertainment as much as anything, but, but right. I do... Uh, Present it in in some locations and some some art fairs and so forth. Let, um, so, I, I don't know if you've if you've encountered this, but do people? How, how does the art community um, um, ad, address <laughs> digital art? It is as compa- yeah. you know, everybody I. Th- Things maybe of other mediums like oil, <coughs> watercolor. What's the reception for digital it's art? It's very mixed. Uh, there are a lot of artists that think, unless you're working on physical media, that it's not art. But then, if you think about art through history, uh, there was a time when we didn't have perspective. There was a time when we didn't have pigments. There, I mean, there was all kinds of technology that has been employed in art. And, mm-hmm. and interestingly enough, when those major changes occurred in the past, it was the same kind of thing. People that did some things traditionally didn't think what was new was really art. So, uh, but it's, it is very mm-hmm. radical. I mean, 
you can you know digitally as I say you can you can do watercolors you can do hard and soft pastels you can do acrylics you can do oils uh, you can do graphite I mean just all these different media are now possible to do digitally and uh, whether it's better or not I, I mean I, I don't know it's just it's, it's it's different and but it still hopefully brings uh, feelings and you know and and people enjoy it so if you had just joined us you're listening to art talks on kzmu here in moab utah and i'm talking with tom conway a local artist uh so and you're almost making or uh, nfts non-fungible tokens right you're creating them right instead of having you know a getting an image of a painting of the Mona Lisa or something, you're creating your own. Yeah, that's, that's you know, getting back to what you just asked about. How does yeah. the art world accept this? Well, you know, NFTs I've looked at a little bit, but th- that is a basic problem because traditionally an artist produces, let's say, an oil painting on canvas or some other substrate, and they have that original and they price that at whatever, $500, $1,000, and, and somebody buys it, and they physically have that. Well, with what I do, there is no original. Right. I mean, there, there's a file somewhere that's full of you know zeros and ones, right. but that's it. Right. And how do you sell that, and how do you get remunerated, and, and do people, will people pay for that? Because they can't say, well, this is that. So that's where... NFTs come in. I haven't really gotten that involved with it, but that's probably where it all has to go because there's, uh, you know, if you had to make your living at it, it's it, it gets tough if you don't have a physical item that you could sell for a fair amount of money. And what <clears throat> we're talking about, uh, I had very quickly brought up NFTs, which is short for non-fungible tokens. tokens yeah. um, and I guess they've started to catch on maybe a year ago or so. I mean, they've been around. Last few years, yeah. But, but they really took off, I guess, last year with this, the sale of there was one painting for $70 million. And basically, like you said, you own a, a file. Yeah. And I, I guess you can then do what you want with that file, make prints of it, and sell it yourself. I guess, but it, it's a whole area that I think would be uh, an interesting topic to explore. You know, it's part of this whole metaverse and crypto world that we seem to be uh, two-stepping our way into. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know about its future for art, for collectible art. I'm just not so sure. Yeah, it's really, it's hard to say. But on the other hand, it's like, how do you remunerate an artist who only works digitally? Now, in my case, I sell prints for really not that much money because it's, they're not originals. You you right. can't. But on the other hand, because it's digital, you can distribute it through websites and 
print-on-demand services and so forth where you may be able to sell quite a bit of it. So even though the per unit sale isn't that much, you might sell quite a few units, quite a few copies, where if, you know, conventionally, if you were working with, um, let's say, an oil painting and then you made a lithograph from that, well, that's all a very complicated and expensive process, and then you number your prints and all of that, and yes, you can, you can make some money that way too, but here again, there's no, you can't, you can't make a lithograph of a digital file, so mm, mm, mm. Um, so it it is it is an interesting um, problem in economics, I suppose, as to as to how mm. to uh, remunerate art mm. that's just digital. Well, how do people find out more about your art? We're gonna we'll ha- we'll have a link to it and some examples. But if somebody just listening today said, "Oh, I I want to." check out his art how do, how do they do that uh generally well my main website is like on fine art america you can just search for thomas conway and you'll you'll come up with the website and i've got most of my works up there which you can then view and if if you wanted to get a copy of something you can do that they'll mm-hmm. print it and send it to you and um mm-hmm. some sometimes i'm at the art nag show here Oh, uh, every couple of weeks, and on, at the Moab Arts Festival, I, I was there. So uh, maybe the Red Rocks Festival. So different oh, okay. local festivals. Oh, good, good. And and um, in fact, here's a little promo. The um, the Arts and Ag, I think, is this coming Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Will you be there? This one, I will not. Be okay, there. that's that's Thursday night from six six to nine. I th- I. Th- I think those are the hours, or five to five to eight, something like that, at Swanee Park. So um, you should go there and check that out if you're in town. Um, well, I want to thank you, Tom, for coming today. Thank you, Richard. Um, I I really enjoy your art, and I think it's a whole new area that I'm just getting exposed to, and um, I think many of our listeners w- would be interested in finding out more about uh, your work. So thank you very much for coming today. Thank you very much, Richard. And now I want to thank all you listeners for joining us today on Art Talks on KZMU 106.7 in Moab, Utah. Thank you for joining us here today on Art Talks, and we will see you next month. You can hear Art Talks on the airwaves at KZMU every third Monday of the month at 4 p.m.